Hey folks, Randy Newberg here. Welcome to Loopold's Hunt Talk Radio. As I was walking, I saw the sign there. On the sign it said no trespassing. But on the other side it didn't say nothing. Well that sign was made for you and me. Hey folks, Randy Newberg here with another episode of Leopold's Hunt Talk Radio. Today, we are going to talk about citizen science and volunteerism and conservation with the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance. Uh, Lee McDonald, the director of operations, man in charge, volunteer extraordinaire, uh, you name it. How, how somebody like that can do as much as Lee gets done as a volunteer is beyond me, but thank God for volunteers like Lee McDonald. And uh, we're, we're going to kind of use the goat tag that I have this upcoming season as a way to discuss a lot of this stuff and get into some of these ideas of, you know, what's the current state of affairs with goats across the, the landscape of North America and issues facing them. But Mostly focus on what are the things that the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance is doing by being advocates for and providing a voice to the cause of these really cool white critters that live in the craziest places and uh, are just really intriguing for, for every reason you can think of. They're unbelievable animals. So... With that, uh, Lee is here today, drove over to Bozeman. Uh, we're in our recording studio right now. And quick as I tell you who the great companies are that make this work, we're going to talk mountain goats. But before we do that, thanks to Leupold for all they do for conservation, for, for our platforms. Uh, I hope you'll go to Leupold.com and check out all their cool products. When you're at the sporting goods store, I hope that you'll check out all their products and I hope you'll end up buying one of their products because they are big supporters of everything in the shooting, hunting, access, conservation, you name it. Leupold is wanting to be a part of it. Nosler ammunition, uh, when was it? August of 2020, uh, had John Nosler on here told the story of how Nosler got founded in 1948. Yeah, that for a long time, family legacy business. Uh, based in Bend, Oregon, um, for us, you know, you look at our ammo piles, you're either going to be seeing a Nosler E-tip. I'm looking at these ones right here. I've got a bunch of 308s here, uh, partitions. Or Acubons, that's the, the stuff we use, and we use their f- full factory loaded ammo. Um, go to nosler.com, check it all out. Look for it on your sporting goods stores or shelves, but look fast because as quick as it comes in, it seems to disappear. So uh, thanks to them for being uh, such great supporters of us. Mystery Ranch Packs, um, don't know what more can be said that hasn't been said about Mystery Ranch. Uh, just amazing product. We we use it. Everyone asks us, what pack are you using? What pack are you using? Well, uh, that happens to be, you know, Mystery Ranch Metcalf or Beartooth 80 or, uh, you know, insert here. But we've been using them for years and years and years. Uh, I bought my first three before I even started these platforms. And uh, 
If you want to save 10% on your Mystery Ranch pack, go to GoHunt.com, go to their gear shop, and put a Mystery Ranch pack in your cart. And when you check out with promo code Randy, you're going to save 10% on that Mystery Ranch pack. And not just your Mystery Ranch pack, but a whole lot of other products that GoHunt carries. When in doubt, when you're out at Go Hunt, use promo code Randy, and you'll probably get a discount of some sort. Uh, most of the regular priced items on their website, with the exception of some clothing and certain other th- small category of other things, promo code Randy's going to save you 10% at their gear shop. Uh, and then my buddy Corey Jacobson, University of Elk Hunting. It's that season where we're trying to improve our skills, our knowledge, our, you know, maybe get a little tip or tactic, some idea, (laughs) eliminate some doubts, some questions, answers, you know, give us more intel. Uh, Right now, you can do that at the University of Elk Hunting. Go to elk101.com, use promo code Randy, and Corey is going to give you $20 off your university course. And then we have the Go Hunt guys, uh, their insider service, which I'm just, I've been shooting some videos this week about how we're using their mapping tools. So it used to be, okay, with Go Hunt, you got draw odds, and then you got filtering 2.0, and then you got all the unit analysis, and then you got all these, these uh, strategy articles. So the price always stays the same, but the amount of features get bigger and bigger. Well, now, last year when they launched desktop apps, and they've been working on that, refining it, refining it. Now, this summer, they launch the mobile app for or mobile maps, and we're talking like real 3D. So price still stays the same. So if you want all these things from maps to draw odds to strategy articles to desktop apps, you name it. Uh, go to GoHunt.com, sign up for the Insider, and all that is included in your package. And when you do, use promo code Randy, and they're going to give you a $50 gift card in their gear shop. So, And I think that by the time this podcast drops, it will be September. Because in September, we're launching a new platform that a lot of you have asked for. It's called Fresh Tracks Plus. And if you go to FreshTracks.tv... That's where you sign up for it. Because a lot of you have told us in our surveys that you're tired of ads. You know, you, you, you value your time. You're tired of your data, your personal information, your privacy being used as the currency to pay for content. And you, you don't want that either. And I'm with you. So we went and said, all right, how do we put all this in one place? Not just fresh tracks. All nine seasons of Fresh Tracks, including the current season that has not been launched anywhere, the prior four seasons of On Your Own Adventures, uh, all kinds of other stuff, live events, uh, you know, live streams, uh, our lessons learned stuff, a lot of our informational stuff, it's all right there. And everything will eventually get to our free platforms. Um, because like we said, you know, this is just an added feature, you know, something we're doing because people want it, but we're giving them a lot of exclusive access, exclusive content, uh, or early release content, and it'll eventually get out there to the free platforms. But for right now, if you want to be on the inside of it, uh, we'd love to have you and you can go to freshtracks.tv and sign up for the fresh tracks plus experience so 
Thanks for being here, folks. That's the most important part. We really appreciate all of you. Without all of you, this operation would have been wheels up a long time ago. And thanks to our great friend Lee McDonald from the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance for being here because Lee is going to talk to us about their mission to promote the expansion of Rocky Mountain goats across suitable habitats, not at the peril of other species. And not at the peril of other species. So that's a pretty encompassing mission statement. But they are making huge progress for a group that's only been around for seven or eight years. So when I hit the button here, you're going to get uh, a chance to hear Lee and I talk about mountain goats. So thanks for being here. Well, folks, I told you that we were going to have a really cool guest today. Uh, He drove all the way over here from Missoula, Montana. Is that right, Lee? That's right. Yeah, you live in Missoula. I live in Bozeman. But Lee McDonald from the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance is here. Are you like the, the, you got some big fancy title or just, I'm Lee? I've got enough letters in the title to make it look important. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But I'm the operations coordinator. Okay. All right. Operation coordinator. We'll, we'll go with that. I, you know, I, my name used to say CPA, and one of my clients got tired of never finding me in hunting season. And so Linda comes into my office one day, and she finds my business card, and she crossed off CPA and put Hunter there. So since that point, my business card had said Randy Newberg Hunter. You know, I, I do taxes, I do whatever, beaver trapping, you name it, I'll, I'll do it all. And uh, so, <clears throat> operations, uh, it, it, we need to, I'm going to talk to your board and see if we can get you some like really sophisticated title with some letters in it or something. I'm on board with that. <laughs> Anyhow, thanks for coming over. Um, one of the things that that brought about this discussion is... Uh, the, the work that the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance has done in a place that I've elk hunted for years and years, um, mountain goats started showing up in this area, I'd say in the 90, mid-90s, late 90s, or maybe they were always there and I just started going to places where I was seeing them in that unit. And the old wildlife manager, when we said, hey, there's goats there, you should open a goat season. Oh, we don't have time to survey it. And then they're probably just strolling through. Well, then along comes Julie Cunningham with Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. She now oversees that unit. And uh, she, I think it was in 93 or 94. When did you guys start? Um, so Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance started in... 2014. 2014, okay. That was our first engagement with Julie and starting our surveys. Yeah, so it was probably right about then. And she said, well, if we can get a survey and we can establish a goat baseline number, uh, maybe we can open a season. And she has sent me over all the stuff that you guys have done as, as volunteers. And I think the first year you guys surveyed 55 goats or something, and then 70-some, and then can't even remember what it was last year. But the uh, point of all that is, is now the place that I elk hunt, uh, I do a lot of elk hunting, there's a tag. Well, there's two tags. She She started two tags in there. And... She's very adamant that if it wasn't for you guys, Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance and the work that you guys do, that 
that we'd still be seeing goats in there, but no one would have had a tag to go hunt them. Uh, so that's a little background to the audience of why, I, I mean, I've known of you guys forever. I mean, with all the volunteers you have and the work you guys do in the bridgers here outside of Bozeman and I run into all of you at the sheep shows and everything else. Uh, so I wanted to have you on the podcast, Lee, talk about what you guys do, where you do it, because there's always the outer face of what people see and then all the work behind the scenes. And you're the guy who gets to do all the work behind the scenes. So yep. um, if what's a day like at the Rocky Mountain go to Lions? Every, I mean, not, <laughs> the, how should I say this? What, what kind of work do you guys do that, one, you want to talk about, or two, maybe people just would have never dreamed that is part of what you guys are doing for advocating on behalf of goats? Well, one of the things we do is just that. That's part of our mission statement is to advocate for goats, both in native and non-native habitats, um, Ooh, yeah. where they don't impact other other native ungulates. Um, so we are involved, not just on, not just in Montana. Montana has been where the majority of the work's been done. Cause this is where mm. we're, we're based out of this. Is our home this is where it started at, yeah. but we have work all through the Northern Rockies. We've done work every, for, everywhere from Alaska through BC. Mm. Uh, we're just starting, starting to engage in some opportunities in Alberta, um, in an area that does not have goat hunting. Okay. And we're trying to help bring it back. Okay. And that's going to take, quite a bit of work to do. Um, yeah. so, and we've done two surveys this year in Colorado. Well, one and one that's about to happen, um, in a couple of weeks time. So, okay. And then what about like Nevada? I, I've been lucky. I've had archery mildew tags up in the East Humboldt's and the rubies. I've seen some whopper mountain goats in there. Is that you guys ever get down and get a chance to hang out in there? We are doing work in the Utah and Nevada area okay. as well. Yeah. So no, it's you see goats now in places where it's like that's really cool. I don't know if they were native or not native, but when you said non-native habitats, I wrote that down as a note because there's this I'll call it controversy. Mm -hmm. going on in Wyoming, Northwest mm -hmm. Wyoming, uh, about removal of a native species from non-native habitat. Sure. And uh, you're way more versed in that than I will ever be. So rather than me give my opinions later on, we'll, we'll touch on that. Sure. Uh, but somewhere in your bylaws, I'm sure you have the mission. The mission of yep. the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance is... It is to promote the expansion of... Oreamus americanus, um, the Rocky Mountain goat, across suitable native and non-native habitats and where it does not impact others. Other native species. Right, yeah, so elk, sheep, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Suitable. I'm, I'm writing all this down. They're verbatim quotes on our website. <laughs> They're verbatim <laughs> on your website. All right. Um, and that website is rockymountaingoatalliance.org? Goatalliance.org goatalliance.org all right well you, you beat them all the like domestic goat breeders you beat them all to the punch now if they exactly. don't have their so uh non-native native habitats do goats have the susceptibility to some of the pneumonia issues like wild sheep do 
maybe not specifically that same mm-hmm. pneumonia, but they certainly do have some disease oh, really? uh, impacts. Some they're a little bit harder, hardier, but they can certainly spread it to other um, species. And that's part of our mission statement that points to not at the peril of other right. of other species. Okay. Because uh, I'm going to come back to a bunch of this stuff. Yeah. The, the, when you have that much of a of a mission statement, there's a lot to go to there. Uh, goats, historically. Can we just say goats? Do you guys say Rocky Mountain goats? We could say goats. Goats. All yeah, right. yeah. All right, folks. If we're talking goats on this podcast, we're talking about... The, what, what, what did you say the the Latin name? Uh, because I know you got a background in wildlife, so I, right. you, <laughs> accountants we like to talk in acronyms. We we kind of like to pretend we were military people. They really talk in acronyms. But you you people who come from these science backgrounds, you talk in Latin. Yeah. <laughs> so what what's the Latin name for goats? Um, Oriamus americana. Oriamus Americana. And I'm sure there's somebody who will correct me on the pronunciation of that, and they're okay. probably right. But <laughs> that, Well, that's a, you're the podcast guest today, Lee. You're the <laughs> expert, so that's what we're going with. Um, but is there a, a native range? I mean, like, how far south? Because now they're in south. Aren't they even some in the Black Hills now? Yeah. Um, is that native? Yeah. Yeah, so the Black Hills are over in South Dakota are not native. Not. Okay, so... Native species in their non-historical habitat. Right. Okay. Uh, Colorado mm-hmm. has always been home of mountain goats. Mm-hmm. Uh, Utah, where, like in the beaver unit and all that. Do you know if that Willard Peak was that? Kind of depends. Uh, so Willard Peak is part of a ongoing project that we're doing right now. And we're helping out with... Um, We've had surveys over there for the ca- past couple of years, and the numbers have certainly dropped there. And there's mm-hmm. a kind of don't really necessarily know why those numbers are dropping. So that's part mm-hmm. of the research and effort and stuff outside of normal volunteer surveys. There's some other work that we're doing in there to help kind of answer that question. Are the goats sick? Are they dying? Are they walking out of there and mm-hmm. migrating somewhere else? Because if you look at the surrounding landscape, there's maybe an option for that, but not... Yeah. Not it's not very clear cut. So yeah. So is Utah? Is that northern Utah stuff? Was that native mountain goat habitat? Historically, uh, that I'm not sure of. Okay. Uh, the rubies, these humbles no. that was introduced. What about this stuff in Oregon? There's some places now in Oregon that have it. Yeah. Um, so northern, northeast, kind of Washington and things yeah. like that those uh that's native northern west washington and stuff uh mm-hmm. is introduced okay um so every every area's got a little bit of a mix of mix of stuff uh on montana they've been moving goats around since the 1940s <laughs> yeah we we have you see the old pictures of them yeah. hauling goats on mules yeah in these crates floating them down rafts and in, in white water yeah <laughs> <laughs> those guys are crazy it, and we have in Montana, they've moved, I believe, 430, I forget the exact number, 430 mm-hmm. something goats since the 1940s through to the, about 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of those have been moved within the actual state, but we have, we have supplemented other areas and stuff as well. Okay. And we've had a couple of instances of goats in other areas come into the state. 
Okay. Because like the crazies, my understanding is the crazies were an introduced herd. Right. And they right. just shot through the roof. And talking to some of our biologists, they say that a lot of our introduced herds grow faster and are more robust, at least for a period of time, sure. than the the ones that are on their traditional native habitat. Sure. Um, yeah, most of the goats since the 1940s originated from, if we would kind of draw that like lineage back, um, the first source stuff came from the glacier the, area. Yeah, up on the Rocky Mountain yep. front area. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Gail Joslin, a friend of mine, wildlife biologist, retired from fish, wildlife, and parks. She, that was one of her first jobs. Oh, uh, lucky. Yeah. <laughs> and she, she, she just has so much goat knowledge about, and she was uh, an active participant in some of those relocation. What do you call them? Relocations? Transplants? Either? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I would say transplant if it's an area that does not have goats. Okay. All right. So, uh, and she told me some of the places like, what's the butte? There's a butte up by Geraldine there. And, uh, anyhow, it's like, four, you know, 447 or something. It's like the hardest ta- goat tag. In right. Yeah, yeah. Would, uh, other than the bridgers, it's the hardest one to draw. She's telling me those weren't native. Uh, and she, she talked about how good these goats do when they get released. But I don't know. Does that peter off after a while? Uh, that would be a question a bit more for Julie, who's been involved in this over a longer period of time and yeah. has kind of, I think, done a bigger, yeah, a bigger she, kind of case study than I that I'm aware of. But, but typically, they are for an animal that lives where they live and puts up with what they put up with. They're pretty hardy. Yeah, yeah, that's the part that surprises me. I lucked out. So in 1995, I'd only been here my fourth year of applying. At that time, my wife gets the mail. She hides this envelope from me as a goat tag. <laughs> so, but she hides it for about three or four days. This was back before you'd go online and check your draw results. Everybody was running down to the mailbox. Oh, did I draw? Did I draw? And down at the coffee shop, you start hearing, oh, yeah, I got a moose tag or I got a goat tag. And I'm like, well, I must not have drawn. And finally, she's like... I got something for you, and she handed it to me. And uh, so I did have a goat tag in 1995. Went into the wilderness area south of Livingston and shot a very nice goat, uh, almost by accident. Didn't deserve a goat that nice. I knew nothing about what I was doing. There was a guy, Duncan Gilchrist, who he had so many great books about rams and goats. Uh, I bumped into him. Uh, I can't remember what it was, if it was a gun show or an outdoor show or something, and he was selling his goat books, and I bought it. And in the 10 minutes he spent talking to me, man, it was like a download of goat information. I'm like, whoa. So uh, I spent that whole summer trying to learn everything I could about goats, went in there, like I said, had my buddy Scott with me, and shot a goat I didn't deserve. Uh, I, we were on our way to go, f- we'd glass some other ones. And on our way there, uh, here comes this Billy walking around this rock face. I'm like, holy cow, he looks like a good one. Scott's like, 
I think you should shoot that one. (laughs) (laughs) So I knew nothing about backcountry. Norman McLean used to write that we were too young to know we owed the world a tragedy. I owed the world a tragedy on that hunt as poorly prepared as I was. But I just moved here from the Midwest. I'd never been, you know, backpack hunting. I... Oh gosh, I <laughs> I'm embarrassed to even think about how bad of a uh, mountain hunter I was at that time. Not that I'm any better now, probably, but boy, I could have I could have had some problems because. It, uh, and what got me thinking about that was when you said all that these goats endure. They live the the terrain they live in, the avalanches, the predators, the. Uh, and I just look at what they eat. I'm like, they can make a living on that? It, you know, part of the year they're eating pretty much just moss, aren't they? Or whatever. Uh, pretty much whatever they can get there. Pretty much whatever they can get old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like any goat, even domestic goats, they'll eat whatever's out in the shrubs, out in the garden. Is that is that kind of... Yeah, and that's, that's actually part of our, our... We have a spot on our a survey um, form as well when we're doing these volunteer services for behavior. Mm. So like, what are you seeing? What are they feeding on? Okay. Pretty much everything. So we like to capture all of that information too, because if there is an area where maybe we're worried about alpine resources due to maybe some recreation or one thing after another mm-hmm. and stuff, it's, it's a good thing to yeah, kind of keep an eye on. Yeah. So you say this survey Tonight or this evening, you guys are having the the gathering for all of us who volunteered for the survey tomorrow. That's right. Kind of the is this the introduction? The yeah, the registration party, I guess, as you can call it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, we're going to go through, and and this is one thing I I love your your Instagram page where you guys are always posting pictures, Billy or Nanny, Billy right. or Nanny. Yep, uh, and. Duncan's book when I had it went through a whole lot of really good stuff there and now whenever I'm out hunting that's the very first thing yep. it's from that whole summer of scouting what I the habit I acquired was when I see a mountain goat first thing Billy or Nanny yep. and so uh, part of the survey we do tomorrow I guess we'll be trying to classify Billy's Nanny's unknown yep. kids yep. so the survey is really to help us get an understanding of goats in the bridgers holistically. Mm-hmm. So we want to know not only sort of total number, we want to know the age distribution. Ideally, if we can get like a sex mm-hmm. ratio, then that's great. But we also recognize that it is very difficult to tell the not, you know, for the non-seasoned goat enthusiast to be right. able to tell Billy from nanny. So we often just say adult yearling or kid. Gotcha. Um, but but we certainly also care about the behavior um, activity. Mm-hmm. We want to know about um, recreation there. How much motorized versus non-motorized recreation are you seeing? Um, mm. And just general, just a very good general high-level view of what that area looks like as it pertains to melon goats so that all the biologists and the state agencies, provincial agencies, mm-hmm. Everywhere, all the way, you know, through Canada, everywhere we do our surveys, that they have the information that they need to make sound decisions. Yeah. 
So we're going to be in the Bridgers tomorrow, and the Bridgers are known for some fantastic goat hunting. If you're a hiker in the Bridgers, they almost at some time become a nuisance on the trail if you take some of the ridge trails. Uh, and there's some whoppers in there. And I don't know if that's genetics, age class, food, forage availability, whatever it is, but uh, if you look at the, if you're into record books and you look at Gallatin County, Montana, uh, not all, but a lot of those goats are goats out of the Bridgers. And we're still trying to figure out exactly why that is. Yeah. But uh, one of the things that does kind of help, they're, they're definitely one of the more easier accessed because yeah. it's because it is so close to town. Um, we can do a lot more work, a lot more efficiently. It's a lot easier to mm-hmm. get in there and yeah. maybe put some camera traps, do some collaring, do some genetic work and stuff. And right now there's tons of, there's tons of work that go out there. So one of the reasons is, you know, like, why are we back at the Bridgers? It seems like if we've got such a good dial on the population, why are we back here? Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason is because there is so much extra work going on here of a survey and a good solid population count is going to benefit all the work that's going on already so much more that makes sense so then we can take these learnings and then apply them to other areas where maybe goats have been historically but now Mm. they're no longer there yeah and now we can go start work there and things like that yeah because uh i do a lot of hiking south of town which the number of goats there is way higher than it used to be um yeah, all the way from here to Yellowstone. I mean, uh, Marcus, who works for me, he spent a summer doing goat surveys in that herd uh, he, when he was getting his fish and wildlife degree. Um, the tobacco roots out west of town here uh, have goats. So we're kind of surrounded. There, there's really no place around Bozeman, any of the mountain ranges, that don't have goats. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming most of those were native habitats, but I maybe I'm making the wrong assumption. There. It's a little bit of a mix. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. So there's some areas where they were introduced, um, some areas where they were, were there, but there was some supplement. Um, mm. Maybe populations numbers were really, really low. So again, all the way th- back to the 40s, all the way through 2008, they were moving goats like crazy <laughs> just kind of all over the place back and forth really just kind of grabbing a couple here moving them here and really just kind of doing a great job of supplementing that hurt um the book um it's called i think it's affectionately called the loner book but it's um i've actually got it oh, here with Terry? me uh montana wildlife legacy yeah honors Book? Yeah, oh, and okay. it's it's the whole history of everything from deer and elk and sheep, all that kind of stuff of where the populations look like historically, and all the work and stuff that's been done. And it's got a nice it's got a nice mountain goat chapter in there as well. Yeah, huh? Yeah, Terry's uh, studio used to be just right over here off oh, South nice. Third. Yeah, <laughs> uh, when I first started, uh, he had me. He wanted me for some stuff, and so I went. Did some things, but uh, that he's always been kind of the video, and not just video, but one of the historians of wildlife in Montana. Mm-hmm. Him and a group he works with created a, a book, and it might have been a video also uh, called Back from the Brink, uh, about how species were really diminished and then all the efforts that went 
into expanding them, reestablishing them in native and in some cases non-native habitats. Uh, goats were one of the beneficiaries of all that work. Right. Which we then became the beneficiaries. Um, as far as other things, that, so we're, we're going to go do the survey in the bridgers tomorrow. Uh, what other kind of things is the goat alliance doing? Uh, so we've got, I mean, we've done in the past, we've done everything from studying fecal deposits, mm-hmm. which help, you know, only with, you know, some disease impact and things like that, but also forage habits and things like that. Yeah. Um, we have funded plenty of relocations. Um, as a matter of fact, the most recent one that we were a part of was um, Olympic National Park. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. the relocating out of Olympic National yes. Park? Yes. Okay, because were those non-natives? Right. Oh, I didn't know that. Going into, so they're now in the Cascades. Oh, so you moved them there. Mm-hmm. Huh. I didn't know that. I, uh, I heard the controversy there. And I'm like, well, wait a second. This makes no sense because I'm sure those goats have been there since the beginning of time. But hmm. nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guess I was wrong in that assumption. But so stuff like that. Yeah, guys... uh, lots of oh, lots of university studies as well. Mm-hmm. So we have one that's looking at high alpine forage use and stuff. Mm. right now and that one's just out of utah Uh, we've got three other things that we've worked on just this year one is we've helped in areas where we've done ground surveys but we also like to supplement those with aerial surveys as well because we know that you know putting more eggs in the basket is always a good thing right um and we were able to help secure some helicopter time for an area of bc that was not going to get surveyed at all Mm. So not only were we able to do a ground survey in there, but we were able to follow it up within a few weeks with a helicopter, uh, which is the traditional way that they would normally do it. But through just finances and everything else that's on their plates, and it, yeah, it's that wasn't going constraint. to happen. So, yeah. And we've also funded, funded a lot of supplemental work that work that might already be happening. We've also done like, oh, let's do some ultrasound work. Oh, really? Yeah, so like... Um, <laughs> on pregnant... Yep. So... Nannies. Yep. So huh. during some collaring efforts or, or during our relocation in, um, in Olympic National Park, huh. we had um, the opportunity that the goats were going to be taking a nap for a little while. So we said, let's take some extra time. And we had a veterinarian and stuff on staff. So we paid for some veterinary time. And we also paid for some ultrasound research and things like that. Cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, until you guys came along, nobody was really you know, carrying the flag for mountain goats. And that's why we're here. Um, you know, that's, that's one of the things that we, we try and do and we try and advocate. And when we form these, these partnerships and these relationships with our biologists, because they have so many things on their plate. They're oftentimes, they're also the deer and the elk and the sheep and they've got public land, like interest and private land interest in ag and all these other things that are pulling them a hundred different ways. So it, it was a little bit apparent that a, at times, there was no one really advocating for mountain goats. Yeah. So that's that's where we came along and we said, okay, we're going to be that voice for it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here because, you know, I served six years on the board of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and you see how much work, how much good can be done when someone says, we are going to give voice to this animal, their habitat needs, their constituents. I'm on board. I'm like, cool. 
Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. And, and we I, are. I know you get a lot of support from the Wild Sheep Foundation and their yep. members. And you, you have a lot. Of, everyone loves you guys. I, you guys have yet <laughs> to upset anybody in the conservation space, Lee. Finger, he, just, he just showed me his fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, no, I, I just, I think it's a testament to the, to how much work you guys are already doing, even though you're not even 10 years old right. and you, you got a pretty, pretty good resume already. And we've been growing <clears throat> extremely quickly. Have you? So, which is a great problem to have. Right. So are you more of a, do you, do you ask people for memberships or yeah. anything like yep. that? Yep. So we're just like your, your average, you know, conservation organization right now, we do have a one year, three year lifetime, um, membership options we also have an installment plan option so if you're wanting to become a life member but that upfront fee is a little bit high for you you can you can sign up on our website fifty dollars a month get auto charged um every month and i'm i'm look i'm logging in right now <laughs> i'm i'm looking here so the the option is uh where am i at here join the alliance yep join the alliance uh, and we've got a one-year and a three-year. One-year, three-year lifetime or donations yep. or merchandise or corporate sponsor package. Cool. Yep. And because we also are a Wild Sheep affiliate. Um, oh, okay. So you're an affiliate underneath yep. the, the Wild Sheep Federation or Foundation. Foundation, exactly. So you can actually get a discount off of our membership through their website, and you can get a discount off of their membership through our website. Yeah. So how is it that they're having their open house this afternoon and we scheduled uh, the, whatever you call it, rehearsal party? We have, um, we have one of our board members, Jared Frazier. He's actually going to be there representing for us. So okay. all, the, all of the uh, pies are in the oven, so to speak. Because <laughs> a bunch of my crew is like, hey, I'm going to the open house. Yep. Well, Jeep today. I'm like, cool. Yep. Go. I'm going over to to do my uh, checklist here. Um, so that's part of how you guys get funded. So, yep. People, please, if you're listening to this, if you're interested in conservation of mountain species like Rocky Mountain goats, uh, I hope you'll become a member. Um, go to goatalliance.org and right. click on join us and be a member. That's right. And membership does fall under my responsibilities as well. So if you have okay. questions, you can email me directly, lee at goatalliance.org. And I'm happy to walk through anything that you need as well. You sure you want to give out your email address, Lee? I'm happy to. I read every comment. I read every email that comes in. I manage our info at goatalliance.org. So just in general, um, if you have questions, info at goatalliance.org. Um, th that's our other inbox. I look at all that. So I talk to everybody all the time. You you come from the wildlife sciences background, right? Yeah. So my degree is in conservation biology. Um, officially, it was called resource biology and biodiversity, but okay. that's the cool, where, fun title. Where, where'd you go do that at? University of Louisiana at Lafayette. Okay. Yeah. Well, they don't have any mountain goats in... 
No, and I studied sharks, so <laughs> I can't really use that right here. But, uh, but but a lot of the mathematics and methodology and stuff still apply. Yeah, I'm sure of that. Um, I know some people got to be thinking about this stuff because mountain goats are this really, um, to most people, they view it as a pretty exotic species because it's not only is it limited in what states it occurs, but even within states where it occurs, it's in some pretty isolated habitats that you're not that inclined to just go there for a picnic. Now, yeah, we have some herds where you drive the going to the Sun Road and Glacier and you sure. see some. Yep. Um, but is, do, do mountain goats have much in the way of a seasonal movement because of weather and other stuff like uh, our elk here? Some of our elk herds migrate 30, 50, 80 miles, but goats do they even have to migrate at all a little bit here and there um okay. that's what a lot of the a lot of the collaring and stuff that we've done is you know kind of help monitor you know and we're always trying to get a big picture of stuff like that i mean for example if we take a look at the bitterroot mountains where we tried to do mm -hmm. a survey this winter which we had wonderful weather it, you know the whole six weeks leading up to it and then the day of the survey it was a blizzard <laughs> so that didn't didn't bode very well for uh for that survey but we're gonna we're gonna go back and we're gonna give that um another go but that area is a great a great example of just saying like we don't really know because once you through those slot canyons if you're in say like hamilton montana mm -hmm. walking up those slot canyons it's some of those canyons it's a nice nine to ten mile hike before you hit the wall. Yeah. And if you cross that, that ridge, okay, well now you're in Idaho and in some of that spot, I believe at the deepest point, it's 50 contiguous miles of wilderness. Wow. So where the goats go and how much they move, we just don't know. Yeah. And so uh, there's a lot of work that we can do to kind of understand a lot of that. They certainly do move lower where they can get to feed. Mm -hmm. They can only move and paw at so much snow um, and I see before they have to move down lower. So they will certainly do that, but do they completely move hundreds and hundreds of miles? We just don't certainly know. And yeah. that's an area of Utah as well that we're kind of looking at is, you know, the Willard Peak area through 2015, we had like a little over 300 goats. Mm -hmm. And now there's last handful of surveys. We've served that area almost every year. We've consistently gotten around 50. Whoa. So we're not really sure. We're not finding, you know, tons of deadheads. Yeah. So we're kind of like, are they going? Are they moving? But when you look at the place around it, it's it's an urban setting. Yeah. So <laughs> you go downtown Ogden. <laughs> exactly. So where are they going? There, there is some. There have been some incremental goat sightings here and there. Hmm. Uh, but really trying to wrap our head around what is going on in that area. That's going to be quite the endeavor. Okay. So I, if I go see a goat next week when I'm scouting for my goat hunt. I don't got to worry about them being somewhere in Idaho. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, and that's one of the blessings I have of the area I have to tag for. I've been hunting there since the early 90s. So I, I've, I've seen a lot of goats in the same places all the time. You know, they might be a mile away when I see them in the summer versus the winter. Yeah. But uh, what's, the, they rut in November. Mm-hmm. 
same kind of thing like all of our ungulates have a similar gestation period nannies are birthing these kids in late may early june Mm -hmm. yeah a lot longer of a maturity though for a nanny before she's ready to do that typically about four years old no way yeah wow it's not like a white-tailed deer that's going to, you know, pop it up the next, <laughs> yeah. the next season. Which is, gets to management strategies. Yep. And why knowing how to identify billies and nannies is so important. Because even when I had my tag, you know, almost 26 years ago, the pamphlet came along with it of, please do not harvest nannies if at all possible. Because they are not as reproductively robust yep. as deer or even elk. And so I I knew it took a while, but I didn't know it took four years before nannies were... On average, yep. Wow. Huh. That's crazy. But uh, you, you then... So I go south of town. I go up into one of these big cirques, and I see... The nannies and kids are kind of in their group this time of year, and the billies are off in maybe a group of two or three right? this time of year. Hey, little bachelor groups. Yeah, different. And almost at similar elevations, but it's like, for whatever reason, I seem to see some of these billies almost in the timber or the edges of the timber stuff. And the nannies and kids are more in the rock scree, uh, you know, alpine basin stuff. That right we come to think of with mountain goats is that just selective for habitats or it could be part of that it could be a resource thing it could just be that that's what large like your ungulates like to do we see the same habits with elk and rams and everything else too so yeah do uh if in all the studies that either you guys have funded or that you read is there what what's the greatest predation or cause of death. Maybe it's not predation. Maybe it's just natural cause of death. For this little kid gets born in June, and it's got to get to adulthood. Right. There's probably a lot of mortalities. I think it depends on where where you are. Certain areas of like BC, it might be golden eagles. They're knocking oh. them off the edge. Um, Whoa. Other areas <laughs> where it's a bit more, a bit more precarious like in the bitter roots or something like that you might it might just be natural disasters just falling in avalanche avalanches um so but certainly you know mountain lions and things like that too can you know normally they will they'll give themselves an escape route to a pretty steep-sided area to where they feel safe that nothing can really get to them from above or Mm -hmm. around or whatever so that's a lot of reasons that they're in that they're in a lot of those very kind of rugged and crazy places is because there is a there is a certain level of protection that comes with it yeah well the one i shot in 1995 he's walking along this face and there's a trail we're walking along that face and our trail is like three feet wide and it drops off on the left side sheer cliff on the right but it's mostly just scree on the left side Mm -hmm. i shoot him we go around the corner where there's like this it curves to the right way back into this deep crevasse And as you get back there, the trail is like four inches wide. Mm -hmm. I'm not crossing that because when I go across there, it's like 200 feet down. Yep. (laughs) But you could see goat tracks going across. And you could tell it had to have been historic because it was like fine little gravel along that ledge. And so you could see goat tracks. 
I went down, I backed up, I went way down into the timber, crossed over, and then came straight back up the other chute he was at on the other side. There's no way I was going to try cross that little face. And I shot him at like 240 yards, but just to get that 240 yards. And uh, you look at that and you think, now this is how they try to get away from predators. They come into places like this. That's crazy. And they're built to do that. I mean, they're they're very, if you look at them, they're very sort of front heavy, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. All chest. No, they're all chest. Their feet, um, their hooves are actually slightly soft on the bottom mm-hmm. to help kind of with the rock and with traction and stuff. And they're definitely splayed. You know, they're not they're not connected or anything like that. So they're, they're designed to do that stuff. And they can move incredibly fast, far faster than any trail runner or anybody out there they can <laughs> they can scoot up that mountain they will beat you to the top yeah oh no doubt they for me like just two years ago we were down on the idaho border elk hunting in november and we were watching a couple billies they were i don't know if they were there were some nannies and kids just over on the idaho side but these two billies it, it was almost like they were posturing like you see deer do at times is that i mean do they have a strange rutting behavior? I've never seen them as I would say, quote unquote, rutting. Right. But these two were just kind of walking parallel and then circling and looking at each other like, hey, don't you see? I've got an eight and three quarter inch horn here. Yep. You, you've only got an eight and a half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they, There's a lot of <laughs> posturing and stuff around not only, not only during the rut, but also also around like resources and stuff. Oh, okay. If there's a mineral lick or something, you might often see like a big billy just kind of come and kind of puff his chest out and lower his head <laughs> a little bit and kind of move move some of the younger ones around. Don't you know who I am, boys? Exactly. <laughs> there's a lot of that. A lot of that kind of... Uh, if that's all you got, get out of here. Yeah, a lot of that high school kind of the way, the way boys act in high school. <laughs> well, they're such cool animals to watch. Yeah. And when you get the chance to go up and, and inspect one of them, you realize, like you were just saying about the the pad of their hooves, it's, there's so many adaptations that their bodies have made. And for me, the part that is probably most astounding is when I see one, you know, I'll, I'll be up in the bridgers in the wintertime and it's blowing up there. It is cold and miserable. And here's a Billy just standing there like, I'm cool, man, no, I'll be fine. I'd die up there in about an hour. <laughs> the, the, I mean, the amount of of uh, fur and insulation they yep. have is unbelievable when you see them in November and December. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't remember who said it, but the only better designed animal for that habitat has wings, and they're called birds. <laughs> <laughs> Which gets me back to something you said about golden eagles. Yeah. So they find these kids, they see them in some precarious location, they go and they knock them off, yeah. and they know that the fall will kill them, and then they go scavenge them? Yep. They, they'll try and get to them first. We've got some video, I'm actually like on our Instagram pages and stuff as well. Um, wolves and stuff will actually go down and scavenge those kills and things like that, and bears and stuff will as well. But, but yeah, um, certainly depends on the area. Some areas, you know, like eagles aren't necessarily a threat. Um, to certain areas of like a Glacier National Park where you have a lot of more open kind mm-hmm. of areas and stuff like that, there's there's plenty of footage of uh, 
grizzly bears chasing goats across like hikers paths and things like Whoa. that so <laughs> so just like any mountain ungulate everything's everything's after him yeah yeah it's uh, this is dinner over here that white thing I, yep. the, that, that's gonna taste good if i can catch that thing absolutely <laughs> uh, i wonder what the more average mortality is uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I mean uh, there it'd was be, it'd probably be so dependent across what yeah. habitat and what predation and um and I might quote the number wrong, but in Life on the Rocks, uh, which is a great mountain goat book, um, that that was dedicated to the Bitterroots here, mm. the author found like twelve twelve deadheads that um through like a series of avalanche Whoa. slides over the course of like a couple of years, so. So, so natural disasters, as as good as they are about being in those areas. So here's part of why I'm asking that. Yep. I'm elk hunting in 2018 mm -hmm. in this place where I have the tag for. I'm way back there where I've never seen goats here before. <clears throat> and it's blizzard, snowing, and we're like at almost the continental divide. And... uh one of the guys with me is like, what is that over there? And we couldn't quite make it out, but it was really almost like the color of this tabletop in the, in the pines and stuff mm -hmm. and along the, uh, the front shoulders. I'm like, I don't know. It's hard to tell. The color almost looks like a grizzly bear and it's huge. <clears throat> well, then the squall passes and it's staying in there on this rock. And now I have my spotter out. <clears throat> I happen to glance over there and it's a monstrous billy. Yeah. But I suppose from rutting and urinating and all the things they do, he looked really dirty. They do. The billies will, um, especially that, that along with horns and the Roman nose and the hump on the back, longer face and the urination posture, the billies will tend to get a stain on the rump. Just they're very, very aggressive betters mm -hmm. and doing some location marking and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah. So the reason that this mortality thing, I talked to Julie, the biologist, I'm like, anyone since 2018, any goats been harvested in this location? She's like, no, it hasn't ever in all the harvest locations we've ever had. There's never been a goat taken there, not before or after. So, I'm hoping that this billy goat I call Grubby uh, is still alive. Will he be alive three years later? I don't know. He was, I've, I've looked at a lot of billy goats. Body size, he was as big. When he was standing there next to some of these nannies, he was significantly, they're all, I mean, the billies right. are significantly larger. But this was, either he had a bunch of, adolescence with him that I was comparing him to or he's just that big <clears throat> well I'm I'm pretty familiar with that area um, as well and and there are some there are some quality there's some quality mountain goats in there yeah well hopefully I'll find one I'm I, here's what I'm doing you're gonna see right I, I, I can see the look on Lee's face when I say this <laughs> I'm waiting until the last two weeks of November to go do it okay <laughs> <laughs> that's a risk in, in yeah. mountain goat country that's a big risk because a lot of people do that and they get snowed out right so but i do have a little fallback there is a place you can go where you can day hunt them but 
I want the full experience. I'm, I want to connect this story of Grubby, who I saw three years ago, that I said, you know what? I need to apply here for GOAT. And I do. I apply for, I, I said, been applying for goats there other than in montana little little bit of information if you're a montana resident here we rotate which units the non-residents can apply for so that stuff comes out early enough in the application season that if you see your unit is now open to non-resident applications just expect the draw odds to go completely in the crapper that year because now you got 1,300 non-residents who are applying for the two or three tags. So I, I leave that unit in the years when the non-residents can, at least in my application. Well, this year, the non-residents couldn't apply there. And so I applied, and they bumped it to three tags this year. Yep. So, uh, but uh, all that is the the reason why or my connection to that landscape and why I want to go and get the full experience from it because I feel so attached to that landscape. And to me, that's, that's the, that's the ultimate way to do it. You know, yeah, you can do some early season hunts before snow and things like that, but if you're really gonna get after it and really just appreciate yeah. the animal and like what it's capable of go during the, go during when it's bad. <laughs> yeah. Because the first one I took was in late September. And I talked to the biologist and Tom and said, you know, last year, the year before, most of the tag holders got snowed out and didn't even, I'm like, oh, I don't want that to happen. Well, this one, I'm, I'm hedging my bet <clears throat> with the fact that if I go in there and I'm, we can't get the llamas through the snow drifts and stuff, I can go to another spot where I know they're lower and I know I could day hunt it and right. I see a lot of goats there too but it's just I want to go way back to this spot and yeah. then Julie the next time she can say yeah someone did kill a billy goat in there in 2021 <laughs> fingers crossed <laughs> yeah hopefully so I'm I'm excited about it but none of that would have happened Lee without what I call citizen conservation and right. you guys are really putting your foot on the gas with volunteers. You, you guys are bringing volunteers to state programs in a way that is invaluable. It's the reason we have some expanding goat seasons. And I think you're a bit of an example for some other groups to say, hey, we, we should start doing some of that. So do you guys coordinate these yourselves or do you do it with the state agency? I know sometimes I've seen where 2% cons for conservation sends me an email that says, hey, you know, they're looking for goat survey volunteers. Is it a bit of everything? It is a bit of everything. Uh, at the core of it, though, it is all about the relationship with the biologist. Okay. Uh, because if there's no one there to accept the data, and accept the methodology, <laughs> then it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, but, and every area is totally different. There are some areas where here in the Bridgers here, for example, it's an afternoon. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? We're going to be surveying from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. Mm -hmm. And that's really all that's needed. Considering um, if we have enough, if we have enough volunteers to cover the whole area, mm -hmm. so because at a certain point, now you're, now you're running into problems of a double counting goats. Oh, yeah, which... You don't want right. to do that because then you might harvest them too aggressively. And sure. And then you have other areas like in 
Colorado, where our two surveys that are in Colorado this year, one was in um, Goat Unit 6, which is just north of Vail and the Gore Range, and the other one is in the Raggeds, just north of Crested Butte, um, mm-hmm. Goat Unit 11. And both of these areas are two to three day minimum, like backpacking, yeah. surveying from point A to point B. Brutal country. So, right. And how the biologists want to coordinate it, some want to be very hands-on and they want to help do all of the logistics. Some, quite frankly, don't have the time because they're mm-hmm. pulled a thousand different ways. Um, it's about forming a good relationship with them. And once we get that buy-in from them, then we can open that door and we can open that conversation with volunteers and really kind of spread the word. Yeah. Cool. Well, what I pulled up here on my computer, you can see what that is. This mm-hmm. is the survey summary that Julie put together Yep. about your work that you guys did in 2018 and 2020. Mm-hmm. And she told me on the phone, she said, Randy, I'm just here to tell you, if it wasn't for these folks, there is no goat season there because I don't have the resources. I don't have, we, we either would have to survey it ourselves or we'd have to survey it with flight. Yep. And we don't have the budget. Exactly. And, and that was one of the impetus reasons for us for doing the bitter roots this year during the winter. One was we were hoping the goats would be low enough. That way they wouldn't be in Idaho and we could, we could get a, a more accurate count whether it didn't cooperate. So we're going to give it another go. But in that area, you know, getting the helicopter from Helena all that time, flying that in all of those routes it's just it's so time consuming and budget heavy so how do we make that this is one way this is one area one way to be able to do that yeah it's uh yeah you look at the average age of the harvest Mm -hmm. those are some pretty old critters those are some healthy goats i'm I'm looking at i pulled up on my computer lee and i are looking at the screen of the average age of the harvest uh and then this year she said that the two tag holders, when they were surveyed, said they didn't hunt. That's interesting. <laughs> Whoa, that is interesting. And I don't know. I mean, it's it's tough country. I suppose if you weren't up to it and you pulled up to the trailhead, you're first. When you looked up at those peaks, you'd say, hmm, I wonder if I can give this tag back. But in Montana, it's too late. You know what yeah. I mean? You got to get with it. That is an exceptionally rugged area. Yeah. But, and uh, I've asked her, you know, where do you think these goats came from? And she said, I think they migrated here from up north or they could have come from down south, but probably north. Uh, Because of the whole chain from there, the continental divide going through, you know, uh, Montana, Idaho border into Wyoming, uh, that gets us to some of the places in Grand Teton National Park where they don't want to have these goats, right? Because they say they're they're a native species in non-native areas, mm-hmm. and so for the last two years they've been removing them, right? I'm, you know, some people are going to come down on either side of it. I've not studied it enough to know the, the rationale for wanting to remove them. Right. Uh, but on the surface, it's like, really? Mm-hmm. We have this unique species that somewhere along the way, every species probably goes and expands into new habitats somewhere. Yep. Why are we saying that this area has to stay locked in the state of time it was when it became a national park in 1966 
That's a good I, question. <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, the dynamic their landscapes are, and species are way more dynamic than that. Absolutely. And so it, it's just a head scratcher for me, right? Maybe I'm out in the weeds on it. No, I mean, I think the idea is, I think reasoning, it depends on who you ask. Yeah. Um, we try to get involved in that one a lot like we did with Olympic National Park. Mm-hmm. Olympic National Park was very receptive and allowed us to help out and do additional work other than the relocation as well. So we were able to do the veterinary time and the ultrasound work yeah. and everything else. Um, we didn't really get that opportunity with the Grand Teton. So. Yeah. And the, what I'm referring to, folks, is in northwest Wyoming, Grand Teton National Park has embarked on a program to depopulate. That's not, they, they call it removal. Uh, depopulate used to be a little more sterile term. So they use, you know, that was a term. A more used. palatable. Yeah. <clears throat> really, what it means is we're going to just shoot the hell out of them and get them out of here. <laughs> that, that's really what it means. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I struggle with with that because the the landscape is forever changing. Whether it's because of man made changes, whether it's the alteration of the landscape because we've been in, introduced non native plants, other non-native species. We've altered where the the total life cycle habitats that species need. We've altered every bit of it, but yet we're going to artificially say, well, you non-native mountain goats that came in here, it's time to remove you. Yep. (laughs) I I don't get it either. I I don't like it. But it is what it is. So that's why I... I, when you first brought up into native and non-native habitats, that's really interesting to me because there are a lot of maybe non-native or non-historic habitats where goats have done very well and goats could continue to do very well. And I, you know, in today's world of conservation, where humans have taken so much of the available habitat, we've manipulated and and compromise so much of the native habitats, I think we have a responsibility to look at where are the other places where, if you want to call it mitigation, call it whatever, where we can do good to offset some of the things that a society of 340 million people have <laughs> have done to the landscape. And that's where all of these surveys start these surveys and a lot of this work is is the foundational groundwork to get a hold of the scope of work needed yeah so that we can then have those conversations and we can form those alliances with not only the hunting crowd but the recreation crowd Mm -hmm. and understand their impact and parks and all the other agencies that goats fall under yeah so no, if you come to my house, if uh, and I've observed this hundreds of times upstairs, is the Randy room <clears throat> that has. I don't have any mounted bull elk there. My son does. Uh, I have, let's see, a white-tailed deer. He has a white-tailed deer. I have four antelope and what, what, goose and uh, uh, whatever. And my mountain goat. And the one animal that always creates conversation and gets people talking is the mountain goat. And I think it's just that unique. It, it represents an awful lot of things in our minds. 
it represents these wild, crazy, lonely, almost dangerous places. It represents the hardiness of something that can make a living on a really marginal landscape. And they're just flat out cool looking critters. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, you add all that together. So I, I think if, if people knew that oh, there were opportunities to expand and improve the, the status and the, and the overall health of our, our numbers of Rocky Mountain goats, they'd be behind it. Uh, I would hope so. I mean, you guys got an easy sell. You know, you're, you're like selling ice cream in the desert here. You, uh, I like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's certainly is. Yeah, we do run into that. We do run into that issue of some f- folks because they want to, they want to do some heli skiing, or, or they want to put in a lodge, or they want mm. to other things that are in goat areas. Oh, and then now we run into a lot of that kind of competing. Yep. And then that's where we come in is we do surveys. We ensure that research is being done. So the biologists and the teams, when they're asked for input, when, you know, the permits and things like that, if this stuff are granted, that our state agencies have the information that they need to be able to make a sound and dedicated, like, in a decision. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can continue doing that stuff. I'm, I'm excited for tomorrow. What else do I got to bring? Uh, just a day pack. Day um, pack, got that. Anything. Spotting scope? Yep. Okay. You definitely bring a spotting scope and some binos if you have Bino, them. got that. Um, butt pad to sit on? Butt pad to sit on. You make yourself comfortable. <laughs> We're going to get up high, so whatever you know, kind of boots and stuff you need. And You guys aren't going to drive me up there? You mean I got to climb up that trail? Yep. <laughs> Boy, I don't know. I'm <laughs> Lee, you might need another volunteer, man. I drive a desk for a living. <laughs> nah, it'll be good exercise. Yeah, but yeah, it's a... It's a great day of, you know, glassing and looking at fantastic country and fantastic animals. Yeah. And so I suspect the methodology to this is something you and the biologists have agreed to. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to instruct people that this is your, if, if you want to, lack of a better term, your grid area. Yep. So that someone from another knob over there isn't looking into this basin you're looking into. So we count them two or three times. Right. And yep. exactly. So the way that works out is we will have, and every area is a little bit different. Again, you know, going back to the Colorado ones, those were routes that they wanted the person to walk, you know, from point A to point B that might take three days or so to do. Um, this area, it's, we're going to have little cordon off survey areas and we will observe goats in that entire area from four to 9 PM because before that and after that, well, after that, it's going to be too dark. But before that, we're really going to more than likely run into too much counting. What, what I mean by that is we're going to start running into duplicate counting. Oh, okay. Because as the goats move, this and that. So the methodology that Julie has come up with, mm-hmm. this is purely Julie's um, methodology, is that we'll all have a map. Yep. And we will write on that map um, a little star from kind of like where we are. And then for the first group that we'll see, we'll write the letter A on that map and a direction arrow of, of movement. And then on our data sheet, we'll write A, we'll put the timestamp, and then we'll put, what do we see? Three adults and one kid. Mm-hmm. Did we see any motorized or non-motorized recreation around them? Mm-hmm. Um, did any of them have collars, yes or no? Um, and what kind of behavior did they do? Mm-hmm. Um, when we see the next group, that'll be group B, 
draw B on the map, which is a nice um, satellite and, and topo map mm-hmm. right there with an arrow of movement as well. And the reason we write down those, those, area, those eras for the direction of movement along with the timestamp is so that if group, you know, right. for group number two that's, that's on the next peak two hours later, they also see a group of three adults and one kid yeah. that came from this direction. Julie often knows that, okay, that's probably that same go to not to count them again. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because it, I would rather undercount than overcount just because, you know, when you say that it's four years old before a nanny is of reproductive age, yep. boy, you could put a bad dent in things and we advocate without knowing it and we advocate for what the data tells us so we not only have we advocated for more tags when the data um, indicates that it's worth it we've also advocated for less tags Mm -hmm. um, in the past as well so if the data does not pan out that the current level of tags don't make sense but we recommend to the biologist like hey we should drop it you know Mm -hmm. like one tag or two tags or something whatever we need to do Um, in that case i mean that in that particular case it was just one tag but and now it's back up so yeah well, I'm looking forward to it. Last year, I was on a grouse survey, uh, <laughs> and they do those differently. You walk to certain waypoints, mm-hmm. and you stand there for 10 minutes and listen yep. at early morning hour. And uh, I, I found a couple of grouse just listening. So uh, I just enjoy this because as a hunter, the science which becomes the conservation or the management policy that becomes the conservation strategy uh, is just, it it closes the loop for me. Yeah. And And this is a great way to, I mean, I I can't think of a better way to give, give time back, you know, to mm -hmm. mountain goats is, Hey, you want to go camp and, you know, sit behind glass for a while and (laughs) and look at cool country. Absolutely. Yeah. Sign me up. So, well, hopefully people will go to the goatalliance.org. They'll become a member, but they'll also volunteer. I mean, what, what, do you have people who come from out of state to do something? We absolutely do. We had, um, as a matter of fact, at some of our last surveys, we had some people from, from Kansas. Oh. That they drove over. We have, um, for the Colorado one that's happening soon. We have someone from South Dakota mm-hmm. going over there because they really wanted to do a survey. And we we have done the Black Hills in the past, mm-hmm. but we did not get a chance to do it last year because of the... COVID. Yep. Mm-hmm. I was trying to go a full day without saying the word once, <laughs> once in the last year and a half. But, oh. um, but he's like, I really want to do a survey. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to drive over to Colorado to do wow. one. So. How cool is that? Oh, yeah. Well, I appreciate all the work that you guys do, Lee. It's, I know you guys are humble. I know a lot of your directors, and I know how hard you guys work, and you're like, well, that's just what we love to do. Yeah, it is what you love to do, but you're really good at it, and you're making a huge difference. And, you know, I, I look at my opportunity this year. I, I am flat out saying, folks, if it wasn't for the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance, Myself and two other tag holders would not be hunting goats in Montana this year because that unit would have never had the opportunity to expand a season or, or have a, establish a season now expanding by another tag without the work you guys do. And uh, I know some of this data isn't just uh, pertinent to this herd. Some of this can be applied to other herds and other locations that are under consideration for uh, relocation or transplant. Thank you very much. Yeah. 
You guys ever going to, I mean, northern New Mexico, you know, has some really cool peaks. There's the San Francisco, San Francisco peaks in Arizona. Well, funny that you mentioned that. So, like, if you look back at the historic records, there is a second, there is a record, but it's just that. It's just a, I can't remember if they actually have a skeleton or not of it, but there was a goat species, Oriamas Harrington, that supposedly went all the way down to Mexico. No way. But no yeah no living yeah. members and stuff and that was supposedly yeah. back during you know the, <laughs> the end of the pleistocene or something like that yeah. i can't remember so because i i've hunted the san francisco peaks north of flag stuff that stuff peaks out at thirteen thousand feet mm-hmm. and the tree line is at about mm, 11 something and it's heavy alpine above that right and then you get up you know the country north of tahoe taos and some of that stuff in northern New Mexico, you might have people saying, hey, can you come down here and catalog this habitat and can we make the case for this? I'm not trying to create more work <laughs> for you. But, uh, but add it to the list. We're always happy to take a look. Yeah. it's uh, uh, Alaska, How are, do you guys have a, a grip or does anybody have a, an estimate of the total Rocky Mountain goat population in North America? Is that a number that's out there anywhere? Total population across all of North America? I don't have that number. Okay. Um, I could certainly find out. Yeah, because I've asked it for sheep before, and they're like, well, it depends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's that's the easy answer, um, but a not, not inaccurate answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Alaska, amazing number of goats there. I've, yeah. I've seen... My family lives in southeast Alaska. And Our Kodiak Island has, um, it's probably your best bet. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've got some friends who've went there hunting before. Uh, and then around Haines, Alaska, where my family lives, there's fantastic goat hunting. There. That's where some of the first records in the late 1700s of, of mountain goats oh, really? came from. Yeah, so from um, from Captain James Cook and somebody mm-hmm. that just originally they thought they were polar bears. They just saw these white blobs. Yep. They're like, what the Far heck? Far off. And then <laughs> in the early 1800s, Lewis and Clark um, actually actually thought it was a white buffalo. Uh, so when they were crossing the Bitterroots or something? Yeah. <laughs> white buffalo. <laughs> oh, so one other thing. These are just little trivia tidbits. Um, you know, elk will clash with their antlers and fight and struggle, as will deer. Um, goats. Some of the, I've had biologists tell me that they kind of try to hook some, you know, with their sharp black horn. Yep. They kind of swing their head and they... Yeah, so they're... <laughs> so they don't have a... They don't have the skeletal structure that like a ram does. Right. Both in the cranium as well as the, the upper vertebrae. Yeah. Um, so a lot of it is involved in the, the posturing and they'll kind of... I have... I have seen some footage where they will kind of hook each other and kind of try and turn each other over, kind of, you know, bring each other down to the ground and things like that. So it's a little bit more like a jujitsu or something, just kind of, (laughs) just kind of grappling and just trying to throw each other around a little bit. Uh I wonder if that ever creates any injuries because those are sharp horns. There have been some human injuries and stuff like that as well. Yeah. But people getting too close. Oh, human injuries. I was thinking if they ever injure injure each other. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there's, there's instances where, you know, they've popped an eye out or something like that. Yeah. I, I'm just thinking about if that Billy that I shot would have been mad and swung his head at me with that big front shoulders he has and that sharp, you know, nine-inch horn. 
that wouldn't have been any fun. No. I, I would have said, what the heck did I do to deserve that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what else do you want to leave the audience with, Lee? Anything? Just, we've had such a fantastic growth over the last year. Um, and it's very, very humbling and it's greatly appreciated. And we could not do what we do without our members, our volunteers, our sponsors. Mm-hmm. They allow this work to happen. They allow, we have four projects that we're funding this year with a fifth on the way that's going to start in 2022. um, We started a grant program for students. So if you are a student, um, either a master's or a PhD student, you are going to a large mountain ungulate convention and you need a stipend for travel or for a hotel stay or something, and you're doing work on mountain goats, we would be happy to help with that as well. So we're not only trying to help, you know, the species and all the research, but we also want to help grow the next generation of mountain goat biologists too. So yeah. is uh, Montana, are we in the lower 48? Are we one of the strongholds of mountain goats? Us, Colorado, Idaho, yep. maybe. Yeah, definitely. We, um, Montana, Idaho, Colorado, and then certainly up North or through BC. If you yeah. get, and I'm going to pick on our conservation committee here a little <laughs> bit, but um, who have, a tremendous wealth collectively over 80 years experience of being a biologist in mountain, Mm -hmm. mountain ungulates, wild sheep and and mountain goats. It is fun to hear them argue back and forth between who has the biggest goats. Oh, really? Yeah. Between Alaska and BC. Uh Uh-huh. Well, uh, if you look at the record book, it's neck and neck. Yeah. Yeah. What's that? There's a herd just outside of Ketchikan, Alaska. It's on a drawing. Uh, and as a non-resident, you'd need a guide or second right. kindred. But I've flown in a seaplane past that. I'm like, I don't know if I'm tough enough to hike up there to hunt those goats. Right. <laughs> it is, it's it's some it's some impressive trophy country for sure. Oh yeah. And in British Columbia, my buddy Dustin Rowe, they hunt them in March. They go hunt these mm-hmm. like blizzard out. Avalanche, Steve Drake was on the podcast here a while back talking about he was up there with Dustin and a couple other guys in March, ridiculous snow, ridiculous cold, and they're hunting mountain goats. And in my mind, that's that's the way to do it. I mean, if you're going to go after an iconic species... That is, you know, the monarch of the mountains and stuff. Yeah. You might as well go in its element. Where it's <laughs> Stephen was saying that they were laying in their camp and they could hear avalanches going off at yep. night. I'm like, you know, I'll watch your footage, Stephen, or all those great images you produce. I'll just uh, that'll be enough for me. I, I don't need the the whole avalanche experience, experience and everything else that comes with that. But that's. Uh, I think part of the allure of, of goats and what makes them so cool and is the places they live. And they are... So like our pronghorn are uniquely North American. There's really not much on the other continents that have an equivalent to our pronghorn. Same here. Same with the mountain goats. Same with here. I mean, your closest relatives, there's some... There's some... Yeah, because they're not a true goat they're more closely related to antelope. But if you look at them taxonomically, they kind of fall in between goats and antelope. Mm. They don't, they're not kind of assigned to either one. Um, so there are some relatives in China and in Japan, the more, mm. the more well-known 
kindred would be um, Shami and Tar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And those are Himalayan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can go to New Zealand yeah. now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but now they're they're cool looking animals yeah. too, and the places that they live are very very similar. Yeah. Huh. Well, Lee, thanks for taking the time. I know you got a busy day, uh, but these kind of things are invaluable for our audience. I love to talk about conservation. I love to talk about people who are doing the work. And, you know, we all can volunteer our time, our talent, or our treasure. And you will take any of the three, I'm sure. Absolutely. If someone wants to give treasure, you know what? There's a place for that. If someone wants to give their time or their talents, they all benefit the cause. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for doing what you do. Tell your board thanks, and uh, I'll see a bunch of them this weekend, probably be my guess. Yep. All right. Thanks for being here, folks. Greatly appreciated. Have a great day. When the sun comes-